Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. It's good to be here, you know. It's good to be with you. It's good to uh, worship the Lord with you. Um, and I guess my, uh, my desire today, um, you know, I've made some notes, I've some ideas, but I want to stay open to what the Lord would um, want us to hear, you know, that, that's my desire, um, that I would be a, a window pane, so to speak, that you would see through, through me Him, you know, that, that's the important thing. It's not what I'm bringing, but what he wants to speak to your hearts today. Um, and, and what I'm hoping to share with you um, is both uh, my own professional experiences, what I've learned and observed through that, but more importantly, my own journey you know, as a man. Um, and hopefully out of that, um, there will be something that you can take away uh, and would find beneficial in your own lives. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah great. Um, so uh, for um, those of you who weren't here last night, um, we did an introduction uh, just talking about um, the, the cry, the cry today for men to rise up, you know, to take their place. Um, our, the women in our lives are screaming for that. You know, they are, they are asking, I, I want a man, a particular kind of man. And I was not that man myself. You know, and I remember an old um, um, Simpsons episode where um, Homer Simpson says, Marg is going through, Marge, isn't it, Marge? Marge is going through a very difficult time right now. And she needs a lot of emotional support. And God knows I am not that man to provide it. Uh, <laughs> and I think um, many times I see this played out uh, in, in counseling sessions, the woman is crying out. She wants this man to rise up and walk with her, go with her to deep places, and he finds himself completely inadequate to engage with this call. And as I said, uh, I myself uh, was a man like that. And, uh, Several years ago, you know, I was living in Canberra, and I faced uh, one of the biggest crises I've ever faced in my life. Uh, my only son uh, was diagnosed uh, with a severe disability, autism. Um, my marriage was on the rocks. Um, I was a workaholic, you know, working like crazy. And uh, I basically burned out. Um, everything around me collapsed in a heap. 
And I got a sense of the real me. I had built a persona, uh, an image, and uh, that is what I engaged with the world with. Um, and sometimes we can do that as men. You know, when I'm in, in situations, I think the real me is really frightened. I can't face the situation. So I send my agent to do the talking. You know, we've all done that, I'm sure. He goes in there, he's confident, he's talking the talk, he does the stuff. But where's the real person? Eh? The persona is doing the acting and the, all of that stuff. And the persona for me, you know, I, it was, uh, there was one thing for me that was paramount. It was staying in control. I had to be in control. And if I couldn't, uh, it evoked and generated huge amounts of anxiety, which I didn't know what to do with. And so I kept the lid tightly on everything, trying trying to control my world. And when this crisis hit, the whole thing fell apart in a heap. Kind of like Paul the Apostle on Damascus Road, you know. He had everything worked out and bang, the whole thing fell apart. And I was confronted with the prospect of looking at the real me and facing this individual. And I didn't like what I saw in the mirror. You know, the man in the mirror, I did not like. And I also discovered I was completely feeling inadequate to the tasks that were before me. You know, I had to now rise up and be a father uh, and deal with what this disability meant for me and my family. I could not and I had no idea what to do here. And I didn't have much of a modeling myself. You know, my father suffered mental illness. Life was very difficult for him. And he somehow got through life with a lot of fear and disengaging and letting my mother do the hard work. And he, he just didn't cope well. And there was, so there wasn't a strong male role model for me to, to draw from. And at the same time, I also needed to be a, a, a husband and support my wife. And I, I just didn't know how to do that, you know. I, I struggled. I, 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 I was pretending my way through life, you know. And perhaps you relate to that. I don't have a clue, but I'm just making up as I go along. And the shame of saying, I don't know what it means to be a dad. I don't know what it means to be a husband. I don't know how to cope with these things. I don't know how to live life on life's terms. That is the call today for us. Can we engage life on life's terms or will we run away from it? Will we pretend? And I had to rebuild my life from scratch, so to speak. And today, I want to share with you some of the principles that I have incorporated into my own life. And this is only a, 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 a small number of them. There are many others, but for lack of time, uh, I just want to share this with you today. Um, 
Yesterday, I, uh, I, uh, the take-home thought for us was um, the road to emotional maturity begins by taking responsibility for all areas of our lives. The road to emotional maturity begins by taking responsibility. This, I believe, is the greatest challenge that we face, not just as men, but as human beings. Because in the Garden of Eden began the road to abdicating responsibility. When you think about it, a simple question, Adam, have you eaten the fruit? A simple yes or no would have sufficed. But a story, Adam creates a story, doesn't he? We have to look at the stories that we are creating today to avoid responsibility. Many of our stories go like this. I did this because I had an affair because my wife didn't love me. She didn't give me enough sex. Or I did this because she said that. And when I work with people, I get them to change the language, to drop words like because, and simply say, I chose to do it. I chose. That is responsibility. But it is a weighty thing to take responsibility. It is hard. It is painful. There is great relief in blaming other people. Have you, have you noticed that? I love to blame people. It lightens my spirit. <laughs> Who did this? I don't know. You did this. <laughs> and I feel better. In fact, Brené Brown, the famous researcher and uh, speaker, talks about the function of blame. What is the purpose of blame? blame? It actually provides relief from distress. That's what it does. So when we blame others, we actually temporarily experience relief. However, when we abdicate responsibility, we also disempower ourselves. Think about it. When we give away our power, what we are saying is, we have no choice, we have no power. All power rests in the other person. Whether it is my wife, my pastor, the government, whoever they may be, they have all the power, I don't have any power. And then we make ourselves victims. Victimology becomes our identity. We live as victims, constantly pointing the finger. One of the things I see when couples come to see me is each one is waiting, waiting for the other person to change so that I can be happy. Please change so that I may be happy. You get it? This is what we are doing. We have placed our happiness, our fulfillment in the hands of other people. And then we wait for them to change for eternity. God has not created us as victims. You know, He has given us the power of choice to take responsibility for our lives, to chart 
a course, a destiny according to his will. And our happiness is not in the hands of other people. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie that we've bought and into. And this is very important that we understand this because people, uh, 50% of marriages today, including, including Christian marriages, end in divorce. One in two marriages end in divorce. That's a shocking statistics for our society. That is not a good thing. And a lot of this is this demand, the other change. The other, you must change, then I will be happy. And so this, 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 um, this call for us today to take responsibility, I think, is most important. I believe there are two messages that are coming through in Scripture. If you look at all 66 books of the Bible, you find two themes that come through. One, that God is loving us throughout eternity. And He will continue to love us irrespective of what we do. There is absolutely no change in that. Yeah? You with me? Yes. And I think, and the second one, equally important, is that God is calling each and every one of us to take responsibility for our lives. Through the prophets, through the judges, down through the centuries, this call comes. Examine your hearts. Consider your ways. Turn. Repent. Choose today who you will serve. All of these are a call to take responsibility. Looking after ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically is a full-time job. When you think about it, there's a lot to it. And that is a responsibility God has given us. He has placed that before us. Some, and I guess as part of sin, one of the things that has happened is that many times we are confused. We actually don't know, is this mine to own or is it not? He said this, I felt this, is it not his fault that I feel this? If he hadn't said it, I wouldn't have felt it. So it must be his responsibility or her responsibility. One of the things I tell my clients is one way to find out what is yours and what is not yours and avoid the confusion is to apply the simple test. Whatever originates from within you is yours. Very simple, right? Nothing confusing. Where is, where is that pain? The pain is in my heart. Well, then it is yours. It's not his. He didn't cause the pain. He is responsible for the words he spoke, for the actions he took. That's his responsibility. It didn't come from within you. It came from outside you. But what came up from within you, a reaction to that is yours. It's pretty simple. So we can own this. When we are confused, we can say, where did this originate from inside me? Oh, my thoughts. Okay, then it's mine. My pain, that's mine. My attitudes are mine. My words, mine. My actions, mine. So they may have provoked me, but what came out came from inside me. That belongs to me. 
I just own that, work with that, and I can stay on my side of the street. And I also tell people who are visual, I say, remember when you drive on the street, on the roads, you have a white line? That's the unbroken line, you don't overtake. Always remember there is a white line between us and other people. And that is the line we must not cross. Always trying to stay on our side of the street, taking responsibility for ourselves and letting other people live their lives. That's what Jesus did. You know? The disciples said, Lord, but those people are doing this and that and they are baptized. And he said, leave them alone. You don't worry about it. When he called Peter, he said, what about John? Peter, don't worry about John. You follow me. I'll take care of that. You stay on your side. You stay on your side. I got it. I got it. Are you with me so far? The second thing is the confession of sins. Now, I don't know which churches practice this as a spiritual discipline. But I know that um, when I was growing up, I was raised Catholic, and uh, we had to go for confession Saturdays. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I would go, the local parish priest is there, and bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And I, I kind of got good at conning my local parish priest. I had to confess, but confess without actually saying anything. You know, kind of get away with it. Oh, Father, I've done bad things during the week and this and that. And he would say, okay, say two Hail Marys and go home, you know. And then a new priest came and I said, oh, bless me, Father, and I've done bad things. What kind of bad things? <laughs> What kind of bad things is a 14-year-old boy doing? <laughs> and in those days, uh, they believed that if you were masturbating, you could either go blind or become mentally ill. <laughs> but James 5.16 talks about making it a regular habit to confess your sins one to another and praying for each other. A regular habit. So not once in five years, not when there is a ministry time, but a regular habit. And the only church I know that has any semblance of this is the Catholic Church. And I don't know the people who are confessing where they are really benefiting out of that process, but they have maintained that. And then you have 12-step groups who really, this is an integral part of the process of a 12-step group, the confession of one's sins to others. And it's a very powerful thing. We don't realize how powerful this is. Why is this important? Well, first of all, God's Word asks us to do that. So uh, the Bible tells us. But we also understand that um, sin is very deceptive. You know, We really can't see who we are unless the Holy Spirit reveals to us what is hidden. And I don't know if you've come across this, uh, this thing called Johari window. Two guys called Joe and Harry. 
came together and put together this thing called Johari window. It's like a square with four blocks, and each one of that has, you know, there are things in you other people can see and you can't see. There are things in you that you can see and they can see, and there are things in you you can't see, they can't see, like that. And so the confession of sin is a way in which we own what is inside and we bring it into the light. We consciously choose, as scripture asks us, walk in the light, expose the hidden things. And so as we confess our sins, as we bring out into the light, we are set free. Let us say we are having uh, sexual fantasies, not about our wives, uh, but the neighbor or the lady there or whoever it might be. As soon as we've entertained this fantasy, um, as Christians, we encounter an inner dilemma. We have done something, we've gone against our values. A dichotomy has taken place within. We have now two options. Either we can uh, confess to God, bring it out into the light, or we can suppress it, push it down, pretend it didn't happen. And as we begin to live our lives going against what we believe, but keeping it hidden, we begin to compartmentalize our lives. Every Addiction requires a compartmentalizing one's life. So we must split ourselves internally in two. So the ego, the public person, the persona, uh, is what we bring. Hey, it's, it's great, it's wonderful, it's excellent. And then we've got the secret life that we are entertaining and living. In order to prevent this, scripture asks us to collapse the two and live one life. You see what I mean? Walk in the light, live one life. It also takes away any power the devil has on us. Because when we have secrets, hidden things in us, he loves that stuff. He torments us day and night. He undermines our self-esteem. He brings shame and guilt. The only way to break the power of shame in our lives is to confess our sins, is to bring things into the light and to walk through it. That is the only way. Otherwise, we walk in pride. Why? We pretend we are something else when we are not. We live an image. We live a persona. There is no authenticity. We are called as men to live authentic lives. Honest, open, transparent. That's what God is calling us today. You know? And hence the need um, to live in the light. This is not easy if we have not practiced this. 
um, this is this was daunting for me when this idea was presented to me this this become a daily practice a regular practice it was like wow this is scary stuff I could get judged what would people think of me and so it is important that we find other men who are journeying who have a desire to journey to live authentic lives who are willing to be vulnerable and honest and are wanting to walk in the light and, and if we look uh, we will find such men you know not everyone may be interested in such a life that's okay but there are men who really are they are tired of living two lives they want to live from the heart you know and there are such men today and we must find them we must search and we must find them the third thing i want to talk about is mentoring it's a biblical model we see joshua uh, and moses we see paul and timothy we see jesus and the disciples um, what is this this idea of mentoring why do we need that um, is there something complicated it's just one man um, sharing his experiences uh, the strength he has and the life's lessons that he has learned and acquired with another man that's all mentoring is uh, it's a very simple process we don't need to be gurus we don't need to have a phd in relationships it's simply this is my experience you know this is what i have learned i'm happy to share it with you take what is helpful leave the rest pretty straightforward that's what i do with the guys i mentor you know i have a couple of men i mentor currently uh, they call me uh, they share you know this is happening this is happening and one of the things i try to do in 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 my style of mentoring is i take a, a coming alongside approach rather than there are different styles of mentoring i find this a lot more healthier rather than a top down mentoring yeah. you know you tell me all the things that's happening and then i tell you where you are wrong and what you should do and you shouldn't have done that and all of that stuff i don't think that has worked for me personally and i find a better model is just coming alongside and saying you know hey what what's going on and he shares something and i look for something in what he shared and then i share back and say i can totally relate to that you know this is my experience too and and i found this helpful this this is working for me and the idea i guess in in finding a good mentor and being a mentor is to remember that at no time should we assume responsibility for the mentee we are only responsible to him not for him god is for him and our job is simply to be responsible to him not for him never to take or assume responsibility for your mentee's life that is given to him by god and he is accountable to god not me i am simply journeying with him for a period of time 
offering encouragement, support, uh, my experiences. And I will walk with him for a while, and then I will stop walking. He will move on, find another mentor, um, and life will go on. But the moment we feel responsible for the people we are mentoring, we become frustrated when they don't do what we want them to do. We become angry. We become judgmental. Oh, the same sin again. How many times are you going to keep doing this stuff? And now he begins to get frightened because we are becoming judgmental. So he starts lying, becoming dishonest. All kinds, the whole relationship becomes codependent. But if we take our hands off the other man and say, hey, that's your life, your choices. I respect that. Staying this side of the street at all times, this side of the white line, I am here supporting. The journey is yours, not mine. You know? it's, it's, a, it's a respectful relationship. It's a respectful relationship. So mentoring is very important. It's an integral part uh, that we must play. And there is a great need for mentors today, yeah. I believe. You know, there are a lot of men looking out there. I remember my first mentor when my life collapsed. His name was Russ, and he was really taking me through this process. And uh, one day I told him, Russ, thank you so much for not preaching at me. And he said, Jude, you have no idea. There were so many times I would sit down and write this preachy email to you. And the Lord would tell me, Russ, I don't need your help. <laughs> and you delete the whole thing, you know. And the not preaching is what really worked for me. Just coming alongside, you know. Allowing me to work through my own stuff in my own time. We don't know how many times a man has to go around the earth before he takes off to the moon? We don't. We may think, oh, this is the 50th time. What is wrong with this guy? You know, I told him to repent and read the scripture and meditate and pray and this and that and rebuke the devil, and he's still doing the same old thing. That's it, I'm going to cut him loose. We don't know the journey of men. Sometimes they have to go through these things many, many times, and then suddenly something clicks. And, and the Bible says that God is patient. You know? he, he knows our frame. He knows we are frail. And he works with us. The Holy Spirit is working with us gently. Working, working. It's a lifetime of work. And patience is what we need with men. And we need a support system. You know, this kind of work is not easy. We can't do it on our own. We need people around us. You know, remember that old analogy of the, the minister who visited the man who had dropped out of church and they were having this chat and uh, the fire was burning and the minister pulled out a coal, put it on the side and he said, let's just watch what happens to this coal. And it lost its heat and it became black. And he said, that's what happens when we get isolated, when we forsake the fellowship of the brethren. We've got to stay connected with others who are journeying with us. We need a support system. 
And my, my heart and my wife's heart is always to build community. The idea that the Christian faith is something that you, just me and God, just the two of us, that's it, is a fallacy. Jesus established the church for a purpose, for a reason. The church is a body of broken people who are helping and supporting one another in this journey of life. Can't do this sitting in our house on our own. We need the body. We need men who are willing to journey with us, who will support us, hear our pain, hold us, and we in turn do the same for them. There is a lot of isolation in our world today. Terrible, terrible isolation. It's shocking when you look at it, you know. Just go to a restaurant and sit there. And Ron and I went today to have some pancakes at what used to be the pancake parlor, now called Capital Pancakes. And I was just watching this family. There was the husband sitting here, the daughter and the wife there, and they're waiting for their pancakes to come, and there they are on their phone. And I thought, the disconnection in our society is great. The isolation is huge. We must consciously work towards creating community. Where is community? How can I be part of it? How can I create this? Uh, that's something we must work consciously towards. Is this making sense? Great, great. The next principle is making amends. Making amends, correcting the wrongs we have done in our lives. That's very, very important. We are created in God's image, you know. And we were created to reflect God. And in God, there is no deception. He harms nobody. There is no evil in him. He is good. But unfortunately, because we have sin in us, not all of our actions are motivated by love. And when we act in unloving ways, in self-centered ways, we cause harm for other people. We cause hurt to fellow human beings. But the dilemma for us when we have done wrong is can we own it? Can we accept it? And can we make amends for it? That's hard. I don't know how it is for you. Apologizing to my wife was the equivalent of pulling teeth. It was very hard. The ego hates it. You know, absolutely hates that stuff. I would come up with justifications, explanations, all kinds of rationalizations as to why I couldn't help my abusive behavior. I just had to do it. Remember when we started off, I said the stories. We got to examine the stories we make up here. You know, that's what Adam did. It was the first storyteller. 
Since then, we have been telling many stories. We have to confront those stories that keep us in this victim place of not taking responsibility. We must dismantle them and see them for what they are. And making amends is actually a large part of taking responsibility for ourselves. It is fronting up. Two or th three or four days ago, I, I made contact with a, a good friend of mine. Uh, we were friends when, when I was 17, 18. We hung out pretty much every day. There were four of us always, always hanging out and doing things. And um, there was a rupture in our relationship. Um, he liked a girl, I liked that girl, and I tried to steal that girl from under his thing, you know, and he found out, and he was mad and felt betrayed and hurt, and of course. And uh, I have carried that guilt, my self-centeredness, my deceptiveness, um, and my dishonesty. When he confronted me, I, I cooked up a story. Story? Yeah. Uh, and there was a rupture, and then we, we kind of repaired it, but not really, you know, we were like talking terms, you know, you know the relationship was never again the same. And we moved on, you know, with our lives, and he went overseas, married somebody else, and went on with his life. And recently this thing came up, you know, I believe the Holy Spirit brought it to my mind, and felt I must, uh, and I thought, how am I going to make contact with this guy? 35 years have gone by, I don't know how to find him. But I just did a Google search. Thank God for Google, eh? <laughs> hey, here's an email address, you know, and uh, I just sent it off, and he, he wrote back to me. He said, hey, is this Jude Vincent Morris from such and such place? And I said, yeah, it is. It is me. And I was quite anxious, actually. Um, fronting up, and, uh, and so we made contact, you know, and, um, and uh, you know, I'm sure he was wondering why I was calling him from, you know, from the blue, and you know, after the initial niceties, oh, how's life, and where are you, Australia, here, there, and I said, listen, I'm, 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 I'm calling for a specific purpose, and I said, you know, uh, this is what happened. This is what I did, and uh, I want to apologize. Um, I feel emotional sharing that, you know. The pain in my heart uh, just rising up right now. Uh, when we live in unconscious ways, you know, we create great harm to other people. We don't realize the impact of our actions. And I believe part of spiritual maturity is the awareness and mindfulness of the impact of our actions on other people. And so many times we are not aware. I, I am not aware. I am so self-preoccupied with myself, me, myself, and I, you know. Uh, my thoughts, 99% of my thoughts are about me. We become self-obsessed. That is why worship is good. At least for 10 minutes, we can think about someone else <laughs> for a change. 
Yes, Jesus. Yes, yes, that's right. It's all about him. I keep forgetting. I think it's all about me. <laughs> um, and I said, listen, the reason I'm calling is this. I want to apologize and make amends for my self-centeredness um, and my hurtful actions. This is what I did. And he knows what I did. I don't need to tell him. But he was very gracious. He said, oh, yeah, that happened such a long time ago. Don't be silly. Um, it's okay. And, you know. Then we went on to talk about our families and how things are and everything. And I felt this burden lifted off me. Whenever we have done a wrong, whenever we have not corrected it and we know what we have done is wrong, that sits there like a debt that needs to be paid. A debt. It is a debt that needs to be paid. We are better off paying these debts and being free of them. I felt released from the debt that I carried for 35 years. It was a terrible burden because in spite of my best rationalizations, there was a voice within me that said, Jude, you know what you did. You know what you did. You could justify and say, oh, we were just teenagers and that's what people do. But you know, you know what you have done. Make it right, front up. And God is with us. When we embark on doing his will, he is 100% with us, assisting us, empowering us, helping us to do what we need to do. And so making these amends is a very important thing. And finally, forgiving others. Just as we have harmed other people, other people harm us too. That's just the broken world we live in. If you ask alcoholics, what's the number one killer of alcoholics? They will tell you, it's not alcohol, it's resentment. Resentment eats us from the inside out. We burn within, consumed with this person who has, we believe, has harmed us. Whether it was a real or perceived harm, we hold that against them. And they live inside our heads rent-free. Wherever we go, we say, that's it, I'm tired of Canberra, I'm moving to Melbourne. But these people go with us, oh, you're moving to Melbourne, we are coming with you. <laughs> then we think, no, Northern Territory, as far away as I can get, we, are, we like Northern Territory, we are coming too. The best revenge we can do to people who've harmed us is to forgive them. Let them go. Let them go. Let us live our lives. Waiting for these people to apologize. Waiting for these people to say sorry is a waste of our lives. Really. God has given us the choice, the freedom. Set them free. Let them go. And I, uh, I was just working with somebody recently and I said, have you considered forgiveness? And 
the person said, oh, I don't know how to do that. It's very simple. Not easy, but simple. I said, pray everything that you want for yourself and for your family for this person. Whoa, they balked. Yes, understandable. When I did that for the first time with a person who I resented deeply, I prayed, okay, I need to be free of this resentment. Lord, bless this guy with peace, happiness, joy, and good life, and good marriage. And as soon as I finished that prayer, and I, I said, and please don't answer my prayer. <laughs> because the pain, the pain of forgiveness was excruciating to pray for my enemy, to bless those who curse you. That's painful. But we need to do this because Jesus said, you want to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. And the dying to this ego, this fallen self, the relinquishing of the illusions of control are an essential ingredient to a mature and spiritual life. We cannot entertain resentments and let them fester inside because they block us from the sunlight of the spirit. We must address them. And if we pray every day, and I have done that for three months. I was a woman, I resented deeply. I prayed every day for three months and I despaired. And I thought, why is this resentment not going? And three months later, bang, it was removed. Dramatically. Just lifted, gone. But if we keep at it, if we keep praying, and we can, I tell the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't mean this prayer. It's not from my heart. But I'm prepared to say the words. They are mere words. I mean nothing of what I say. Bless him. Give him what he needs. All of that stuff. Because he desires truth in the inward parts. That's what scripture says. We don't need to lie to him. But am I willing to take that first step and say, I don't have the willingness. I don't want the willingness. I want judgment for him. Mercy for me. <laughs> Especially when people have sexually abused us. The pain is deep. We want punishment. We want justice. That's hard stuff. But if we begin by this, in this place saying, Lord, I don't want to pray. I don't want to forgive. I'm not willing. I have prayed, give me the willingness to be willing. That's the starting point. And then he will give us what we need. I want us to watch a three-minute video and then finish up there. If we can... This is Tyler Perry, one of the famous Hollywood producers and actors, talking about his personal experience of forgiveness. The one-man entertainment empire, Tyler Perry. Tyler, you weren't called Tyler Perry as a boy. You were born Emmett Perry Jr. You changed your name, Sorry. you said, to distance yourself from your father, who, let's be honest, he sounds pretty brutal. He used to beat you relentlessly uh, as a young man, which must have had an effect on you. Yeah, well, of course, it, of course it did. But, you know, I was able to forgive him in my, in my mid-20s, and that changed my life. Because what I did was, what, what I think a lot of people don't realize or understand is that their parents have a story, too. Now, and so whatever happened in your life, because...
because of them is made. You really need to find out the story so that you can understand it. And what I found about he, he and his sister and his brother, they were all found by a white man in rural Louisiana in a ditch. He was two years old at the time. He was brought to a 14-year-old woman named May to raise. Her father was bedridden, very old man, was a slave. And everything that she knew to do to get these children to behave was to beat them. They, she would tie them in a potato sack, hang them in a tree, and she would beat them. So that's what, his, that's what he knew. That's what he came from. He'd been abused. Oh, he'd abused his entire life. You know, third grade education. How did you find this out? I found it out by asking questions finally of him because I was talking to so him. he told you? He told me a lot about it. My aunt told me about it and other people in the town, small town in Louisiana where he grew up, they told me about the story. So it helped me to understand a lot of who he is, which, was, which made it easier for me to let go and forgive him. Hard to forgive, though. It is, it is, but it's very necessary because what I found that is this, and this is so true, if you do not forgive, you hold on to this thing inside of you that can change your life for the, and take you in the wrong direction. Nine times out of ten, the people that have done things to you are asleep and at peace, and you're holding on to it. And it, be, it can really literally become sickness in your body and make you physically ill. So I think that forgiveness is beyond important. Is he still alive, your father? He is. He's still alive. And what kind of relationship do you have with him? We don't speak very much, but I am taking care of him. I make sure he has everything he needs. You support him? Absolutely, 100%. As a child, he wasn't a great father, but he was a great provider, and he had an incredible work ethic. So he definitely gave me my work ethic. Do you think despite the way that he, he manhandled you and beat you and so on, did you feel that he loved you? No, never felt that. Never felt that. I felt very strongly that there was something there, and I didn't know what it was. And when I was about 30, my mother told me he never thought that I was his child. So, really? So that was another thing I didn't know, which caused a lot of issues as well. Did you have that out with him? I did. Uh, about four years ago, I asked why. And all he could tell me through his tears was, you, he, this is what he said, you don't know what happened to me, which clearly made me stop and go, you know what, I don't. But that doesn't justify what you did. Mm -hmm. But I will take that and I will try and consider it and understand it and make it work for the better of both of us and this relationship as father and son. Is he proud of you for what you've achieved? I think so, because he, in any situation, he's in tears. Everything that happens, he's, he cries. Every, uh, Is every, that guilt, do you think? Every award, and listen, that's exactly what I thought or very early on. Every award, every situation, every time you see an ad for one of my films or something or come to one of the shows, there would be tears. And I always thought it was tremendous guilt. Has he ever said sorry? No, he hasn't. He has it. Would you like him to? At this point, I don't know if it matters. I really don't know if it matters. Because I really have, I really am done with it. So I, I, I don't know if it matters if he said he was sorry. Let's give uh, Jude a clap for the first session. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.